Well, as you know, my name's Doug Laurent. Um, I've been a home inspector since 2010. That's kind of a baby for many of you folks out there who've been doing this for 30, 40 years, but uh, I've had quite a bit of uh, experience in the field. Um, since that time in 2010, I was also certified to do radon measurement through ARST, NRPP. And uh, back in um, 2016, my wife and I teamed up and she started doing radon testing for other home inspectors. And that's turned out to be a, a good operation for her. Um, but uh, also in 2019 in Minnesota, the state began to require radon measurement providers to be licensed. <clears throat> well, as you can imagine, many home inspectors did not want to go through the radon training and the radon national radon test, which can be difficult for some. And uh, it was kind of a boom for, for my wife's operation. So much to the point that uh, we needed a system to help keep control of what she was doing. You know, she uh, was inundated and was spending 20 hours a day trying to keep up with things doing the invoicing and tracking the schedules, keeping, making sure she picked up all the monitors that she set up and get the billing right and so on. Um, and then trying to keep the records straight for what the state was asking of us. Um, so that's what led to home-based scheduling systems. And you'll hear a little bit more about that at the end of the show. I, um, it's, it's, uh, I've been involved in a lot of small business operations, and my favorite part of things to do is to design and implement systems to improve efficiencies, uh, in, improve quality along the, in doing that, and of course, maximizing our profitability. And that's kind of what I, my emphasis is uh, as we come toward the end of the show is how do we stay <clears throat> current or how do we stay in compliance with the ours protocols and still make money um so uh the business of radon measurement it's much more complicated than it seems at the start um unless you're in an unregulated state and you're not very concerned about maintaining any kind of protocols and you're simply going to set up your monitor, get a reading off of it, and put that number on a sheet of paper and give it to your client. Um, that's that's acceptable in some states still. But uh, most of us, I think, want to reach above that. And that's why we're part of InterNACHI. And that's why we're many of us are certified through, through ours. Um, but anyway, so how do we... Um, how do we stay accurate and stay out of trouble or stay compliant? Um, we need to get the job done efficiently. And in the end, we need to make money and stay organized so we're at peace with ourselves. But if we don't make money, we're not helping anybody because we won't be testing for very long. Um, so you folks are from different backgrounds. Uh, you're going to have some of you are in licensed states, we call it. Uh, some of you are uh, or regulated states. Some of you are totally unregulated. Some of you have more lax regulations than others. Um, but how does how do the ARS protocols impact your operation? Maybe you can think about these questions here. Um, <clears throat> We don't pay attention to our protocols at all. We're in an unregulated state. We just provide a basic report with the test number on it. Or are you affected mostly because you're certified by ARST and as, as part of your certification, you agree to follow the ARST protocols. Now we all know that there's not much bite to that other than our word. And so sometimes it's easy to be a little lax on following through. Um, <clears throat> or are you completely following the IRS protocols and maybe even adding a few 
state regulations on top of those because you face annual audits and which could come with uh, heavy fines if you're not following the rules. Or do you completely participate and follow the ARS protocols because you're strictly self-enforcing because that's what you choose to do? And why would you do that? Well, I got certified for radon measurement through ours back in 2010 before I did my first radon test. I just felt like I need some backing to tell, be able to show people that I was qualified to do what I was doing. Plus I wanted to know that I was doing it right. Um, so from a, it, first of all, from a marketing standpoint, <clears throat> you can, uh, you can stand out from your competition. Um, they're not doing anything particular. Like I said, um, if you've been in this business for a little while, you've probably seen a lot of test reports that are pretty much nothing but a number on a sheet of paper. You may, some of you may remember this. I think they were called safety sirens. They were kind of a home radon test monitor that you could plug into the wall and it gave a digital readout. One report I saw a client showed me, it was just a picture of the radon result on, of that display. So that was his test um, report. Um, but also, if you know you're following ours protocols and can prove it, and you're feeling good about it, it's easy to stand up against challenges from realtors or sellers who say, well, how do we know your test is any good? Um, from a liability standpoint, I suppose in some cases, someone might uh, decide to charge you with, uh, or sue you for some reason because their test results were higher. Maybe they want you to pay for a mitigation system. Um, here you can go back again through your documentation and <clears throat> you have good backing because you you know you did it right. Um, <clears throat> here's the best reason though, for you to feel good about what you do. I think most of us who are home inspectors that wanna do a good job, we wanna do it because we take pride in what we do and we wanna know that we're truly helping people. So knowing that you've done the, the you know, you've done the job right, and you know you, you're following through on your word with ours, you're following the protocols as you agreed to do, you're doing the best you can to protect the health of others. And uh, I, I take great, I, I feel at peace when I know I've done things right. And uh, I'm very unsettled if, if, if I haven't done that. Um, so, there's, there are some of the reasons I came up with why you would voluntarily choose to follow the ARS protocols. And I'm sure many of you have others. Um, for the, this webinar, I'm gonna be referencing the ARS document for radon measurement of radon and radon decay products in homes. There's a link to it here. I don't know, AJ, if you can put that out to people for me. Um, you can find that on the internet at that link. Um, and it, the document looks like this. It's a copyrighted document, so I'm not gonna take cuts and pieces out of it for this seminar, but uh, they, this is free to everyone to view. If you wanna download a copy, they are asking for, I believe it's $50 for this, but it's very helpful document. It's kind of got a neat way to flip pages here. Um, but it's also a searchable document. So if you're looking for something in particular, you can type it in your search bar and it'll pull up the different pages that apply to it. But um, you'll see those references to different sections of this as we continue through the, uh, the hour here. Um, also, I'm going to be talking mainly just about the day-to-day -day testing operation. Um, 
there are things that we have to do as part of the protocols. And the biggest one is the hardest one for many of us, at least for me, was doing a QA, QC plan. Now there are templates available now that are, are helpful for you to use, um, but uh, it's part of it. And you can see the requirements in ARST at 8.1.2. And uh, yeah, the, the ARST document here, you can see that um, it has uh, a searchable um, bar here so that you can go down and, and uh, find your place, find a specific topic in there. Uh, also, we're, we're, we're talking about um, today, we're talking about testing with continuous radon monitors, um, CRMs or monitors or refer them to refer to them as um, I know some of you probably use EPERMs or other devices for testing, um, but I, I won't be talking about those because I don't use them and I'm not very familiar with them. Um, and we'll also be assuming that for the most part, we're testing for a real estate transaction in a single family home or a single unit townhome or condo. Um, we're going to review the testing protocols as we go through, and then we're going to take a look at the radon report and what information needs to be tracked and recorded. And then finally, we're going to cover how we're going to do this and still make money. Um, you know, the basic record keeping is not complicated but a notebook and pencil would do, but holy cow, you know, you'd be writing forever. And anyhow, we all know the shortcomings of that. So with uh, computers, we've got other ways of doing that uh, that are more reliable and easily referenced. Um, and so we'll, again, we'll get into what that, before we get into what the system needs to be, we need to know what that we're going to, need to track. Um, and it, in connection with the ARS protocols, you know, the scheduling um, is not a requirement. How to do your scheduling, how to keep track of your CRMs, it's not going to be part of the protocols. Um, but it still is a huge challenge, and we'll get to that at the end. Um, we need to keep a record of every test. And of course, the amount of detail <clears throat> that you are required to keep um, is uh, going to depend a great deal on your state you're in. Um, but for most of us, the, the minimum amount of things you need to keep track are listed here. You know, of course, this, the test locate address, the start and stop time, the technicians involved, test types, um, you know, as an initial test, post mitigation test or follow up test. Uh, mitigation type, and of course, device type, make, model, calibration, all that sort of thing. Um, so it's just simple stuff, but it gets to be a lot. And if you're sitting down writing all this stuff down all the time, um, you'll be there forever. Um, this is just a quick record of what our state requires us to keep and report on every quarter. Um, you know, the, the, the pickup tech they have us list each test by the pickup person. Um, but uh, they want to start and stop and test type again, uh, the mitigation system, none, active, passive. Uh, if there's a mitigation system since the licensing took place, they want a, a tag number, uh, a device type used, of course, the address, test results, year of construction, building type, is it a commercial, single family home, et cetera, the floor, room use, real estate. So they, they're not asking for a lot of great detail. Some states want more um, and so more things that are harder to keep track of than this. Most of that information you can get off of your uh, basic order form, plus a few questions for the technicians to answer. Um, but when you're working with CRMs, you need to do duplicate tests, uh, 
the, the rule calls for a duplicate test for every 10% of your total, total test done in the organization or every 10th test for each monitor. Um, we're also looking for a chain of custody. This is one that I think a lot of people fall a little short on. Um, we can get a, um, the monitor and list every test it's ever performed at what address. A lot of people will do that, but we need to know who had control of that monitor in between those test times. Did a technician pick it up at the office, set it up, and then another technician picked it up, but they brought it back to the office and left it there. And then another tech picked it up a day later and drove around with it for a few days. And then until uh, they set it up on a test. So that's, that's a little more complicated and, and time consuming to try to produce. I think keeping track of calibration dates on machines is a pretty simple thing to do. Um, here's a chain of custody. Uh, report. Here you can see down here, Doug picked up this thing at Minneapolis, this monitor 5862 uh, is the serial number and uh, brought back to the office and another tech took it out and set it up in St. Paul. That tech picked it up a couple days later and that same the next day set it up in Cottage Grove and so on. You can see how that chain of custody uh, report really needs to look. Um, now, when your, your techs, they have their equipment, they're going out, they get to the house, they're ready to set up. Now they have to make some decisions as to where they're going to set up this test. Um, and we need to track that. So what room they put it in, what level they put it in, uh, the foundation type of that area. And then... It, the ARS protocols come call for one of three different ways of keeping track of, of exactly where that monitor's position, uh, either by a photo, and the photo should be taken such that not that you can identify the monitor as much as where you, it needs to be a, a shot, a photo taken back far enough so you can place it in the room. It should include a doorway or the stairs or some, some identifying markings that let you know you're, uh, if someone wants to come and retest that house, they can put their monitor in exactly the same position. Uh, photo seems to work the best uh, for us. Uh, other people have to do a floor plan because the state requires them and they're looking in that case, it's not just because they want to know where the monitor is. They want to know where the sump basket is. They want to know where the, the furnace is at and where the water heater is at. All those have to be included in their floor plan. I believe Illinois is one that requires that. Um, otherwise, a written description is acceptable uh, in terms of ARS. <clears throat> and of course, that information is going to need to be in the report as well. Um, a setup checklist. We're, we're supposed to have a setup checklist. There's no requirement that you actually have a document to fill out um, and make a check mark that you did it. But you're supposed to have a checklist that your technicians are using to make sure they followed all the steps that they were supposed to in checking the thermostat, checking windows, and those sort of things. Um, the uh, the, I know in our state, they really like it to have a, a, a solid hard copy or a digital copy checklist. Um, and to be honest, we just started using a digital copy checklist for setup and pickup. Um, and it's helped. It's, it's helped improve what we're doing. Um, we need to, of course, record the CRM number used on the job and and again, whether a delayed start was used or not.
say AJ? Yep, I'm right here. Oh, you you are getting my screen here this time, right? Yep, we got your screen. I I just I don't see the green frame around it, but um Now, before we even get a chance to head out to the job site to, to do this test, of course, we need to do prior notification for testing. Um, you know, we need to inform the person that's responsible for the building to get uh, to, to let them know what is necessary to have a proper test. Um, and of course, we are all familiar with some of those and we'll cover them a little bit, what it means to have a closed house conditions. But obviously most of it, the biggest thing is, are, are we gonna get those windows closed 12 hours before the test starts? Probably the biggest one. Um, and again, there's a reference to the R section there, 8.3 and four and uh, exhibits three, four and five. They have some nice exhibits in there if you're looking for samples of what your forms should look like or could look like for close house condition notifications for um, a non um, uh, a compliance form for the, the sellers to sign and uh, so on. Um, we need to post notices and at the job site after we've started the test, and we're supposed to make a request for a signature on a non-interference agreement. And if we do not get a signature on a non-interference agreement, we need to note that on the report. Um, in this real estate transaction, we're not working for the sellers. So we seldom have direct contact with them. And so it's acceptable to go ahead and email the listing agent that non-interference agreement with the request for the uh, sellers to sign. Of course, then we're going to walk around through the house, do the visual inspection. Um, again, mostly checking for closed house conditions, but also checking thermostats and ventilation and so on. Um, survey, surveillance is not required according to our, again, some states, I believe, require some anti-tamper devices um, when doing testing, but ours does not. Here's a sample of a checklist. Um, this is a pretty basic one, but it's the things that are needed at the time of setup. There are other questions that need to be answered at the time of pickup. Um, you know, closed house conditions, are the thermostat settings set properly and HRV vent status and so on. Now, another item that is probably not paid attention to very much in testing, especially those who are in unregulated states, um, at least in Minnesota, this was almost never done. Um, if you're looking at a house with square feet of, of the foundation footprint exceeds 2000 square feet, you should be considering um, doing multiple test locations within that home. Uh, we know that uh, radon levels can change quite a bit from one end of a house to another. And uh, so the larger they are, the less, the more opportunity there is for that to happen. Um, and also you should consider um, a second monitor or a third monitor uh, for each area of the home that's served by a different heating or cooling system. You know, one area that's in a forced air system where the air is moving around more, it's evening out the uh, radon levels and maybe even doing some ventilation in the process uh, might be uh, lower than an area that's serviced with electric baseboard heat, for example. And finally, um, and this is the one that Minnesota doesn't just recommend, they require us to test uh, different foundation types. Maybe you have a split entry house um, 
or a three-level split, for example, you might be paid placing one um, monitor in what would be considered the basement, one on a slab, and maybe even a third one over a crawl space, and maybe a fourth one over an, another slab. Um, so it's not uncommon here to have three monitors and uh, and uh, even once in a while, we're doing four or five monitors in a home. Well, that has a huge impact on your radon testing operation, doesn't it? Um, it, it just requires more, more inventory of monitors, which of course is expensive. Most monitors are running of the common, commonly used ones. Most monitors are run, running roughly a hundred or a thousand dollars a piece, and another one hundred and seventy-five dollars a year for calibration. Um, it adds up, but it becomes part of the deal. It was a big. Um, people were pretty upset about that. Me probably the most um, because it's just huge. Uh, Time-wise, too, you're you're spending that much more time with technicians in the field, um, placing these monitors, trying to make those decisions, analyzing building space, um, trying to figure out if there's a crawl space over that place or not, and is it a foundation? Face it, most of the technicians are not um, not home inspectors, uh, or a lot of technicians are not home inspectors. They're they're just techs that have learned how to do radon testing they don't know that much about home construction and it's that's the biggest challenge in training your people that are not a home inspector and even as a home inspector how many of you been in a house for three hours and didn't find the crawl space till you're walking around with your clients showing them the, the house and you realize that there's a, a door there um happened to me more than once um, but, uh, so that's a big deal, a big deal and something you need to think about in how you're going to do that in your operation. Now, maybe the state as like in our case, the state makes that decision for you, but even if you're not required to do it, um, do you want to do that out of good conscience? We have had basements that have tested lower than a slab on grade in the same house. Um, it's not uncommon, and uh, so it does make a difference. Well, here we'll get into some more details on the on the test placement. How many of you had a realtor tell you where you're supposed to place that test? They don't want you to test in the basement of that old house because the ceiling's only six and a half feet tall. Um, well. If that space is, is or could be used as a livable space for a workroom, an exercise room, a, a, a lounge area, um, we should be testing it. And uh, not many of the real estate agents have taken all the cl classes that they, so most of them have taken some classes, I give them that credit, uh, but. Uh, it's a little more involved than that. Um, so when you're going through the house, finding that level that you're going to test on or levels that you're going to test on, uh, then trying to choose a room. Well, ours has some thoughts on that. They'll tell you, uh, test where people are likely to spend the most time. Okay. And then they also recommend placing the device where it will not likely be disturbed. Those two statements are in slight contradiction with one another, uh, particularly if children and pets are involved. Um, uh, that uh, becomes a challenge for sure. Um, sometimes we might place a CRM in an area that we wouldn't normally do it, but we got to keep it out of the out of the way of the dog or cat or or some kids, uh, and so we can go ahead and do that we just need to make note why and where why we placed it where we did um and uh again no one's going to follow up on your report but it helps to put that comment in your report for those who might be questioning what the heck did you do that for um and a lot of times mitigation 
uh, companies have to read these reports and they're trying to make sense out of why you did what you did because they're in there mitigating a vacant house. Well, when you tested, the house wasn't vacant and you had challenges in front of you. Um, now, specific placement, when you get down to the ARST, they, I'm going to, um, we'll pop over here real quick because they have a nice picture. Um, so this is the ARST uh, document and they're talking about where the placement should be. It's a nice little diagram to have there. Uh, again, maybe you put it in some of your information for on your website, uh, but uh, here it's telling us, of course, three feet from doors, exterior doors and windows, 20 inches off the floor. Some of us use the five gallon pails. Do they measure 20 inches? I'm not sure. A lot of them don't. Um, we try to use, we use tripods, so we always know we're exactly at the same height. Um, one foot from an exterior wall of the building. And uh, one foot below the ceiling. Well, with CRMs, we're not going to hang that thing from the ceiling, probably. And then the last one, four inches from other test detectors and objects that are above or to the side of the detector. So we, <clears throat> um, I've been, you know, challenged a couple times about having a monitor too close to an interior wall. Well, we only need to be four inches away from an interior wall, according to this, um, not 12 inches. <clears throat> and for your duplicate tests, um, your monitors must be placed more than four inches apart, but or more than four inches apart, but less than eight inches apart. So you it's kind of sensitive where you place those. You want to make sure you get that right. If they're more than eight inches apart, you still have a valid test there, but you don't have a valid duplicate test. You just have two readings. Here we they talk more about the uh, don't place these. These seem pretty obvious, okay, to most of us. But if you've been in the business at all, you've seen pretty much probably all of these done um, by by other companies inside closets, cabinets, sumps, crawl spaces, nooks, um, or near heat sources. You know, these are pretty obvious ones. Maybe the sunlight might catch you sometime if, if you don't want the sun to be shining on that monitor. Um, and of course, by near drafts caused by fans or heating, air conditioning vents. And sometimes that is hard because you've, you've, you've done everything you can to get this monitor in a place where it's not in people's way. It's away from the window. It's away from the outside wall, all that. And then they're keeping it away from the kids. And now there's a heat, a heat register or a supply register right above you. And you're going, oh man. So what do you do? You know, um, in some cases, you're going to have to find another place, or maybe you can divert that airflow somehow by taping some paper over, over the uh, vent register or closing the vent register partially. You don't want to close it all the way. It will impact the, the test. Um, and avoid placing detectors on or near objects that may produce radi radiation. Um, basically, we're talking about rocks and granite tops and so on, slate pool tables. Um, <clears throat> we just covered that. Um, okay, so you're you're going to give notice to the homeowner about closed house conditions. Um, of course, all windows need to be closed, exterior doors, um, heating and cooling need to be set to 80 to 65 uh, or 65 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, 
Now that doesn't mean that the monitor is going to be in that temperature range. The uh, temperature on the thermostat and in the hallway on the main level could be 68 degrees, but it may be 55 degrees down in the basement when you're in, especially when you're in colder climate areas. Um, whole house fans, of course, those need to be off fireplaces, even gas fireplaces. They don't want those to be burned because it'll affect how much the heating or cooling system runs. Uh, I'm not in full agreement with that one, but it's the rule. Cloth, uh, clothes dryers. What does excessive mean? What does that mean? <laughs> um, I'm not sure what excessive means. It just depends. Uh, we have to use some judgment on that, I guess. Um, same way with ventilators, HRVs, ERVs. The new rule is set to the lowest seasonal ventilation conditions. <clears throat> I, you know, I'm kind of familiar with a lot of different heating systems. I've been in this for a while, studied houses for many years. I'm still not sure what this means, what this setting is, because uh, each ventilator type, we don't know how that was configured to run by the HVAC person, how they balanced it, um, and, and what model. Uh, and, so, you know, there's just many variables that we, we're not going to know about. So we just have to do our best on that one. Uh, when not to test. We don't want to test, of course, when we can't keep closed house conditions. Sometimes we know that uh, by the attitude of the of the tenants uh, or the occupants that there's going to be a problem. They're not cooperative. They're not happy about the whole situation. Um, <clears throat> um, or maybe it's a time when uh, there's construction going on. It just they're trying to get things finished up to get the house ready for sale and you're trying to get this test done, it's just not gonna work very well. Uh, or if there's other reasons for excessive traffic, such which is very common in our real estate transaction, coming across the home where someone decides they need to move out that day, um, kind of a problem. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> When closed house conditions create a health risk to occupants, uh, we—that's—that's that's going to be mainly. That's going to be when the home does not have air conditioning, and the <clears throat> exterior temperatures are just unbearable to to have the house closed up. And in fact, could be dangerous. Um, <clears throat> here's there are some conditions, some circumstances when you might. Uh, things might not be exactly what they should be, but uh, you can still go ahead and test. You just need to note that in the report. You know, maybe the ventilation system isn't set right. Uh, the the furnace fan is set to on instead of auto. Some of those things aren't significant enough to to not test, but um, they uh, just are notable. You know, same way with unusual device placements and so on. Um, <clears throat> delayed start, of course, we've all uh, been familiar with that. I, the biggest one, again, doors and windows haven't been shut. Um, you get to the house set up, the, the windows are wide open. The seller tells you all the windows are closed, but <laughs> literally had this happen to me. I, I was... Uh, Talking to the gentleman, he told me all the windows in the house were closed. I'm looking over his shoulder and two windows were open behind him. It's really hard to, you know, what do you say? <laughs> Sorry. I, but um, if a mitigation has been installed less than 24 hours um, prior, then you need to wait for that uh, set of delay start. Um, <clears throat> The pickup checklist uh, ties to the report requirements. So you're going to have all these questions and they're basically, you need to, these, this is the information that needs to be included on the report. Um, you know, these obvious ones, test address, make and model machine, the, the results of the test, the name of the technician. Now you might have three technicians names on here, the setup person, the pickup person, and the reporting person. Um, and you have, again, things we've talked about 
that need to be in the test. HRV settings, radon mitigation type, and so on. Now, ours has some paragraphs that they would like used, uh, or uh, you can reword these, I guess. But if the test result is this, they want some a statement to this, something to this effect. Fix the building if the test results indicate occupants may be exposed to radon concentrations that meet or exceed the EPA action level of 4.0 and so on. So that, that's kind of a paragraph. You can get that right out of the book here, uh, the document, ours document, and it's 8.5.9. And here's another paragraph about what needs to be done if the test results fall between two and four. And finally, of course, if the test results less than two. Now, <clears throat> the... Um, Here's kind of a sample report. Um, that meets the ARS protocols. Um, this test here was for a duplicate test. So it's a few more pages because you have um, CRM data for both monitors included in this report. Um, but uh, at the top of the report, there's a summary of what everybody really is interested in. Here it's talking about the average of the test being 4.7, and uh, it's a duplicate test, kind of explains what that's about. And, and then again, the recommended action is in the paragraphs we found. Here we have a, a building year uh, test type, mitigation type, and you know what kind of test performed. Is it a single test, duplicate test, or multiple locations? And your first monitor with uh, the make and model serial number and so on. And of course, it's location. A photo here helping with that location. And here is the, the device results, the hourly readings. And the second monitor here and those results. Now, all those checklist questions we were talking about <clears throat> is are, are summarized here. The pickup questions are listed down this side. And or I'm sorry, the setup questions are down on the left side and the pickup questions on the right. Um, you know, some of these questions only pertain to the pickup and some only pertain to the setup. So um, that's why you, you have some blanks on one side, but the questions that are common to both, such as passive air supply status, was it clear in both conditions? Um, temperature setting, was the thermostat set the same and so on? Or a big one here is, was it occupied at setup, but it was vacant at pickup? That could be a cause of concern that people were moving out of the house during the test. And this is just a summary page. Again, this is from ARST. It lists all the different um, levels of radon and the actions to take and part of that. And, and most states are required to have their Department of Health information down here so people can contact and give, uh, get more information. And of course, the testing company information, the different um, technicians who were involved in setup, pickup, or the uh, report generation. Uh, so that's what a report can look like. As you can see, if you, if you do include the data, now the hourly test data is not required to be included in your report. Um, it's just, you do have to be able to provide it to people if they ask for it. So Unless you want to be answering phone calls and, and, and digging out data, you might as well include it in your report and, and be done with it. Um, again, here's some state requirements. You can see Minnesota's columns. They only go up to R. Illinois goes up to V, but they actually have a few more that extend beyond that uh, and uh, uh, quite a bit of record keeping. So 
I know I've gone kind of fast. I've been talking too fast, but it's uh, a lot of information to take in and what you need to do to keep your radon operation up to par. Um, so how, do, how does your operation measure up with the standards? Um, you know, holding to the R standards and to maintain profitability, that is, that's the difficult part um, because you, you can't have your techs in a house for 25 minutes setting up or picking up and really come out in this deal. Um, most of the time, uh, you need to keep that down to about 15 minutes in most cases. So what options are available? Well, we've all seen Google Worksheets and Zoho, and those can work. I've seen some really good ones. Um, the guys who really spend a lot of time pulling together uh, these documents that help them keep track of all this stuff. Um, and uh, we did some Zoho stuff at the beginning, uh, just did not, it just did not work well. Um, it was hard for the text. It was easy to delete stuff and um, get lost in the system. But um, if you bear with me a little bit, I would love to show you a little bit what home-based scheduling systems can do to help keep track of that. We got we got through the um, the hard part of the of the of the hour uh, talking about all these reg rules and regulations. It's never fun. But it does help remind us that we do have uh, obligation to pay attention to the rules so that we're doing things right and giving people uh, fair and accurate, accurate testing. Um, you know, <clears throat> we have a system that's a scheduling system and it's a, it, it's a calendar and it also um, it also functions as a technician's app where they do all the, they get their routes from it. They enter their little their data into it and uh, generate their report. Um, if you take a look at this calendar here, the the columns here are each technician has a column for each day. You'll notice this technician has two columns. That's because they do two services. This system does track all the ancillary services and uh, if you needed to, but today we'll talk about the radon. Um, <clears throat> when the radon orders come in, they come in with a, a paired set of appointments, a, a green setup and a red pickup. Um, that's automatic, they're tied together, you can't forget. You'll never forget your pickup. Um, these orders can come from multiple places. Uh, you can put a link on your website and retail clients can order directly from you. Um, you can, if you're working with other home inspectors, you can give them a login and they can place orders online and their orders just pop in up here, saves you a lot of work. Um, otherwise, if you're using ISN, Spectora or Next Inspect, uh, you can hook that up here, integrate that, and these orders will automatically pop up here uh, for the services that you choose. Uh, we'll take a look over here. If you, we also, this is the route for, for today for this organization. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you can pop open a map and see that, you know, you can see the little balloons popping up and down on the right in the map so you can try to get an organized route for that person. And if you're not sure, like we've got this order to put on the calendar up here, we're not sure how far it is from, from Plymouth to this Minneapolis stop. We can click on those two and here we have the route up here. It's 28 minutes. Um, if we need to look at the listing for some reason, maybe they didn't put the age of the building in there. Um, you can click on this little magnifying glass and then the appointment and it pops you over to the Google search and you can decide if you want to go to Zillow or the realtor.com or whichever one you want. Um, but to once you get the appointment, when you hover over it, you'll see that yellow box that highlights when the inspection is. But we're going to set this up here for um, this. Well, we'll just set it at four o'clock here. And 
you can see that red bar, the dark red bar over there is the contingency expiration date. The pink bar says that's the earliest we can pick that up. That's the 48 hour mark. We'll accept that appointment. And as a scheduler, <clears throat> uh, see they didn't put the year in here. I can click this thing, but I'm not gonna take the time. As a scheduler, you you have tasks to do. You know, somebody has to make appointments to get into the home. We can click on that box here, go ahead and cut and paste this into showing time or however you do your appointments and, and click on the access appointment was requested. Once the approval comes through, you can go ahead and put your lockbox code on there. And we'll go and do the rate. The we'll do the pickup one while we're here. Anyway, and we need to notify. Remember, we needed to notify the the listing agent that this test is coming, and we need to ask for them to sign a compliance agreement, uh, non-interference agreement. If you're places orders through came in through next inspect or spectora isn the listing agent information is already there and you just hit this button it sends that form out with a link to the seller can sign the agreement online and then that agreement gets stored into the database here and you have a record if anyone ever asked did you notify those guys um, you have it here and when you get a little black dot on there you know it's been signed well, you can see how few people still sign these things. Um, so these appointments are in place and ready to go. Um, up at the top here, you'll notice it says how many CRMs are available. It tells how many CRMs this, this technician should have started the day with. And uh, down here, if the day wasn't over already, it would tell us how many monitors were gonna be available. So we knew if we could take an extra order at the end of that day. Um, so, but the, um, so that's kind of the calendar part of the program. The, uh, the phone app is where kind of the work takes place. Um, <clears throat> you'll see here, this, the technician can see their whole route for the day. Those little check marks tell you that the appointment's done. Of course, the red box appointments are pickups. The green ones are setups and um, we can see our appointment down here at the bottom. Hasn't been checkmarked because we haven't done it yet. And we come to our appointments here. I should show you back here. Of course, you can tap on the address there. It takes you to Google. It gives you the lockbox code and that sort of thing. Um, here, there's a checklist set up in here and you get to choose which questions go into your, your checklist. Um, and you get to choose whether you use it at all or if it's required or just op optional. Here it's required. So I need to enter these or I won't be able to enter any CRM numbers. We just go ahead and pick those questions that we've um, set. and save that and then we can go ahead and start the test uh, we can add a crm here and we got a we can enter the number and we're going to do a, a duplicate test or side-by-side -side test in the basement on the lowest level, the foundation is going to be a slab on grade. And then we're going to go ahead and take a picture of our monitors. Save that. <clears throat> the things that happen when you do test, test companies. Um,
Well, that's embarrassing. I've got my monitors set up incorrectly. Um, but uh, Oh, how about that? I've tested that. I don't have time to, to uh, get that uh, corrected. <clears throat> we can go into our test company here. Okay, so there's our side by side. And again, it's gonna automatically ask us to include the second monitor. So we'll select the, the one with the most tests since it's last side by side. There we have our monitors, apologize for that. And we can set our mitigation type here. And we can also say, maybe it was a delayed start. We just touched delayed start and we email the client. It lets them know that it's delayed start, but it also puts an alert on the calendar. So the scheduler knows that they have to adjust the, the um, The scheduler has to adjust the pickup time. Here you can see the CRMs that I added there. Um, so we've done the setup. Go ahead a couple of days and uh, do the. You need to put it on the right technician. <clears throat> oh, the pickup test. We'd read the monitors and get the data off of the machine and save it to our phone. We'll enter the test results here and it'll give us our relative percent difference there, 3.1. And <clears throat> then we just need to go ahead and, and generate the report. We've saved the CRM data to our phone. We can add a a um, cover photo if we wanted to, we could have taken that picture on our way in. And then we add the CRM data here. And if we're doing a floor plan, we could add that there. The second monitor we add here. And we go ahead, we can put more photos, additional photos in here if we want. Um, and we can go ahead and answer the field questions for the report. Now this gets to be a little longer. 
questions because there's more things that are important here uh, that need to be included. And then we hit generate report and there's your report. Now, if I wasn't fumbling around, um, we would have had that a little quicker, but there's the same report that you saw a demo of earlier with all the data on there. To send it to the client, I just have to hit send report and it goes off in an email and gives them a link to the report that they can, they can gather up online. Now you might say, why do we do that? That pretty small amount of time that the technicians really need to spend in the field getting that done. And from that information then, um, they are able to generate the report, say your state report, um, simply go ahead to Minnesota reporting for January. I can click on this button and <clears throat> here's the report for the state. They want it in a CSV form, so we export it to that and they want it by technician. So I grab one person's test for the month and I take that and cut and paste it into their form and I'm done with my reporting. Uh, and of course, there's a lot more information and details here. This has a full invoicing function and so on if you're gonna use it for other testing for other home inspectors but I can promise you it'll save you time and money. Here's where you would go and get your, um, uh, you can view the test history for this monitor for every test you've ever done on it um, and the chain of custody. Uh, you can see that's right here. You saw that earlier. And the rest of the information, you click on this bar, you have a place to keep notes on the monitor. If it's doing weird things, you can make a record of that for yourself. You can lock the monitor so it's not uh, counted in the uh, CRM totals that I showed you on the calendar. Um, and up at the top here, again, it shows where all your monitors are located, how many you have available, how many are within 17 monitors are in service that are within five days of their calibration expiring. Down here, you'll see how many monitors are. This is the test count since their last duplicate test. So we can see we have a bunch of them, but these are grayed out here because they're locked because they're out for calibration. Um, and again, if it's been more than 180 days since this a monitor has been on a duplicate test. It, the next test that comes up for the technician is going to be prompted um, for a duplicate. Um, again, I apologize for the um, uh, hiccup on my CRMs. I grabbed the wrong ones. And uh, <clears throat> If you um, have any questions about the system, I'd love to help you with that. But if you have questions about just radon testing in general, um, I could uh, be happy to share that with you as well. We will stop that there. Um, again, I apologize. I went through that five times today, but uh, anyway, that's how life goes with us for us sometimes. And uh, the, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted by a question over here. Um, but uh, I look forward to uh, hearing from you. I think you can have a link to my um, email address. You can look me up, I believe, uh, since I'm on InterNACHI. 
and let me know. I'm gonna take a look here at some of your questions. I see someone had some tampering examples here. Um, uh, anyhow, I just, um, I hope you all have a good, good evening tonight and hope your businesses do well. And I hope you can, can maximize the profitability of your radon operation because it is a fun business and you can make good money. Have a great night. Thank you.